And so I want to encourage you to be praying about your role and what God might be calling you to do. Let's pray, and we'll jump into Philippians chapter 2. Father, thank you for the privilege it is to partner with one another in the work of advancing the gospel, both here in Boone County and this part of Indiana and around the world. It is a privilege to get to participate in that, to sacrificially give and to see what you do with our offering as you reach so many people all around the world. God, as we turn our attention to your word, would you give us eyes where we are blind? Would you give us ears to hear where we are not hearing from you? Would you open our hearts this morning to receive what you have for us from your word? And I pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. As a disciple of Jesus, your life, your life should be a picture of the desired destination that you want others to arrive at. Let that sink in. As a disciple of Jesus, your life, the decisions you make, the conversations you have, the goals that you set, the aspirations that you chase after should be a picture for an unbelieving world about what it looks like to follow Jesus. I first heard this quote from a preacher named Crawford Loritz, and then uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've heard our student, Mr. Ryan, quote that uh, in a couple different contexts, and it got me to thinking about a question that I've asked myself consistently in my time here at New Hope that I've wrestled with. It's kind of tormented me a little bit, and so I want to welcome you into being tormented by it um, as well. I figured if I suffer, we suffer, right? Uh, no? All right, you're going to get it anyway. Here, here's the question, and it, it's a good, healthy question, but it's difficult uh, to wrestle with. And the question is this, that I ask of myself is this, if everyone uh, in the world were to follow Jesus the way that you're following Jesus, Rob, would we be on the right path? the disciplines, the decision-making, the conversations. If everybody were to follow Jesus the same way I'm following him, what would that look like? See, that's a really difficult question uh, to wrestle with. And you might be thinking, man, Rob, if I answer that honestly, is that, like, and I think I'm doing okay, wouldn't that be arrogant? And you got a point. It could feel that way. But I've noticed this in the church, that our, our tendency, our desire to display modesty and humility and pursue that, which is a really good thing, has sometimes gotten in the way of us uh, taking hold of a responsibility that the Bible is extremely clear on in talking to each one of us who follow Jesus. And that responsibility is that our lives should be a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That an unbelieving world should be able to watch us live and then get a glimpse of what it looks like to follow him. Now, you might say that feels like a lot of weight, and it is. It's a responsibility. One that you cannot accomplish on your own. And so today we're going to look at the lives of some people that are a model for us of what that looks like. You'll notice in the writings that the Apostle Paul has throughout your New Testament, when he would write to churches, he would consistently own his shortcomings. I mean, he told uh, multiple churches that he was the chief of all sinners, he wrote to the Roman church. And he said that he had a former life, and he'd made mistakes, and he had a thorn in the flesh, and he had all these struggles. He said, I'm, I'm the worst of them all. But that same Paul wrote the same words to churches that said, hey, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Follow my example. He'll write to the church in Philippi in chapter 3 when we get to that in a couple weeks, and he'll say, the things that you saw, the things that you heard, the things that you experienced in me, do those things. Like, do as I'm doing, even though it's imperfect. Follow my example. There's a responsibility we have to live our lives in such a way that it could be a picture of the desired destination. So before we jump into these examples, let me fill you in on a little bit of background 
Uh, if you haven't been with us during this series, the, the, the context of this letter is Rome. And uh, the year is about A.D. 60. The Apostle Paul has been arrested. He finds himself in house arrest. He was arrested in Jerusalem. He was transferred now to Rome. And he awaits a trial in a prison cell with a lot of uncertainty. He doesn't know uh, whether he's going to live or he's going to die, though he indicates to the Philippian church he thinks he might go on living, but he's really uncertain at the time of the writing of this letter. Now, if you're like me, there are times where you hear a sermon, it kind of feels like a lecture, you're waiting for something entertaining, and you move on to the next thing. You read your Bible, it can kind of feel like a textbook, but I want you just for a minute to put yourself in that situation. What would it feel like to be in a Roman prison cell on house arrest? not knowing if the next day was the last day or the day after that, not knowing when you would get this trial and if it would go like trials that have gone before for you unjustly and that your life would come to an end. Just that uncertainty, just sitting there in this place. When all of a sudden, the, the book of Philippians tells us this young guy, Epaphroditus, shows up like a breath of fresh air to Paul. Somebody coming to bring a message that says, hey, the rest of the church obviously could not make this journey, but I'm bringing a message on their behalf. I'm bringing a gift on their behalf to let you know that we love you and that we're behind you. Imagine how good that would feel. You know, if you're new around here, you might not know that we, we pay a lot of attention to global missions. We have multiple missionaries we've sent from this place, and we support many different missions here at the church. Just last week in our services, we sent out and commissioned uh, to leave once again missionaries to India. Like, we really wholeheartedly believe in it. And so the first lesson uh, that you get to before we even jump into the text today that we've been wrestling with is what is it that our missionaries really want? Like, what is it that we can really do to serve them? Now, we think, if we fill in that blank, oftentimes it's let's go and do a work trip. I want to go build a wall or, or build a house. And that's really good because they need that at times. Other times we think, I'll go and we'll teach. I'll just go around and we'll teach, and that'll be really good. Other times it's, let's show up and do a VBS or put on a program for them, and that's really good because they need that sometimes. But what we're hearing back from our missionaries right now is that right now what they would love is an Epaphroditus, somebody to show up and just say, hey, we're just here to encourage you. No work projects, no programs, no stress. We just want to be here and lift you up. We just want to be here and pour into you. We just want to be here and pray with you. We just want to be here and hear about all the work that you're doing and get caught up on you. And then we want to bring you a message from a group of people that couldn't make the trip. But man, they want you to know how much they love you. Like a breath of fresh air. And so Paul then uh, takes this message he received from Epaphroditus, which includes the fact that in the church in Philippi, there was a little bit of tension there was a little bit of friction starting to form. There was groups of people within the larger church that were forming and almost becoming like cliques, if you will. They were kind of picking sides and pitted against each other. And you can see the root of bitterness starting to form. And Epaphroditus comes to the Apostle Paul and brings him this report, I think in hopes that Paul would then send Timothy, his primary disciple, back to correct some of the teaching. But Paul says, no, I'm not going to do that. I need Timothy by my side. But what I will do is I'll write this letter to you and I'll encourage them with what I think they need to be doing to live this life that should be a model. And so as David two weeks ago and Ryan last week kind of built it up, the shift that takes place in chapter 2 is Paul begins to address the way that the Christians in Philippi should be living their lives. He says, you should have a life of humility and service. You should do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. In that humility, you need to address the needs of other people. That's the life that you need to live. And then he says, let me point you to the greatest example of all. And David walked us through uh, the picture of Jesus and his life and the perfect example that he is on what it means to consider other people more important than yourself. Then he transitioned and he began to talk about 
Uh, you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You need to understand that you have a responsibility to live a life that's worthy of the calling of the gospel, that your life should be a picture of the desired destination. You guys have to do this. And then he kind of hits it home in verse 14 of chapter 2 when he says, and I want you to do all of this without grumbling or complaining. And I'm thinking, are you serious? I, I don't mind doing all that, but like, I really like to complain. He says, no, you can't do that. He said, don't be like the kid who has been told numerous times, pick up your clothes or clear the table, and they just won't do it. And I know this never happens to any of you, but sometimes in our home, you just get to the edge of it, and you're just like, you know what, forget it. I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. Again, I don't need emails. I know that's horrible, and you need to make them do it. I get it. But sometimes it's just like, I'll do it myself. He says, you can't do that. He says, the same thing happens in the church. You got people that are like, hey, we'll come and we'll serve. We'll help you out. We'll do our thing. But this is our avenue to complain. This is my way to get my influence so that I can achieve my own agenda. Or my opinions are more important than your feelings. And they start to complain and they start to, uh, they start to groan and they start to, to, to moan about all kinds of different things that are going on in the church. And Paul says, no, you can't do that. He says, the church leadership can't do that either. You can't, uh, you know what, forget it. We'll just do it ourselves. We don't need you to help. Because if all you're going to do is complain the whole time, we don't need your help. He's like, you can't do that either. Instead, you got to do everything, everything, without grumbling and complaining so that your life will be blameless and pure. In the midst of a crooked generation, in the midst of a generation that's watching and trying to determine what they think about the church, what they think about God. And they're learning it from us. My wife and I, uh, we uh, finished some uh, premarital counseling with someone yesterday. And uh, as we're sitting there, uh, it's the culmination of all the sessions. And so, like, you, you know, you're like, hey, we got to get something across. And at the end of it, uh, I quoted from something, but I said, hey, if, of all the things we talked about, this is what I need you to understand about marriage. This is what I think is the most important thing that you need to understand. And it's this it's that your marriage is God's plan to show the world that He is believable. He is trustworthy, that he's good. The way you treat each other and live in this marriage relationship is God's plan to show an unbelieving world what it means to believe in a God who is good. It's what he's trying to do. And Paul's saying that's what your life is doing. When your life is a picture of the desired destination, you have an unbelieving world watching you saying, maybe God is good because look at the way they interact. Maybe there is a God because look at how he's working in their life. Now, if that's the message that you were trying to get across to this group of believers, if you're Paul writing this letter, don't you wish that you could have an example to say, and here's the example of Jesus, but like here's this, the, the example of just a practical way. Look at the way that they're doing this and, and like do it this way. Again, let me uh, put myself under the, the bus here with parenting. I don't know in your life, but when we were when we're raising our kids and we get to certain moments and milestone moments in their lives, we sometimes, I don't, again, want to hear, you should never do that, but sometimes we'll point to the older sibling and we'll say, hey, look at the way they're doing it. You can do this. They did it. You can do it. You're just, you know, you can do this. So whether you're teaching them to ride a bike or potty training, you know, we kind of got spoiled with round one, you know, like potty training was like, everybody else was wrong. That was easy. That's cool. Like, Wow. He just listens. That's so good. So round two, like it's not going quite the same. And we're like, okay, like look at your older brother. You should do this. And it took a little bit longer, a little bit more of a struggle. But like eventually, yeah, I do. I want to be a big kid. And round three, we're like, hey, potty training, riding the bike. Look at your older siblings. He's like, I'm peeing on the floor and I don't like bikes. Like I'm not. 
it's not my thing, Dad. We're not, this isn't going to work. I don't care what they're doing. I'm me. And so eventually we had to like, oh, come on. And eventually he followed the example and he did what he was supposed to do. This is what Paul's doing. He's saying, look, like you're, you're, you're slipping here, Philippians. Let me remind you that your life should be a picture of the desired destination. Look, look at these two guys. Look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. Look at the way they're doing this. Like, let them be your example for how you should live. So we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 19, if you would stand with me while we read God's word. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, Paul writes these words. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all with, and has been distressed because you have heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager now to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is God's word. You can be seated. Paul now takes his attention from the teaching to the examples, and he says, I want you now to look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let me update you on what's going on with them. And he's going to pull certain things from them. And I don't know about you if you've ever had this in your life where there's an arena of your life that you want to get better at. And so you go to somebody and they say, hey, I know just the right person who can teach you, who can mentor you, who can disciple you. And this is one of the reasons I love this church, like deeply love New Hope, is because of the multi-generational influence. Like, let me just be very transparent with you. The church idolizes young leadership. I'm, I'm very young to be in the role that I'm in, but it's not lost on me that I don't have enough experience and knowledge to do this without a generation that's a few steps ahead of me, that's learned some lessons that I have yet to learn, that know some things that I don't know. This is church, friends, and this is what Paul is saying, like, look to the people that have gone a few steps ahead of you and learn from them and to grow and to mature so that as God begins to use you, there'll be a generation that comes up behind you and you'll be fully prepared to lead them. This, this past week, I was uh, meeting with a, a younger guy here at the church, and uh, the, the, the thing that came out of that meeting was like, hey, I, I want uh, to go into a certain area with my life. I want to learn some things, and I, I'm not quite sure exactly what I'm going to do, but I'd love to learn about this specific area, and immediately I thought, that's not my area, but I know whose it is. And so let me go and make a connection with a guy who's a few steps ahead of you, who knows a little bit more about this than you, and who's in this field for Jesus, like he's living for Christ, doing this kind of work. And let me make this connection. If I was going to trust somebody to disciple you in this field, I'd pick him. So let me make the connection. And now they're going to connect. This is what Paul's doing. Like, you guys want to know what it's like for your life to be a picture? Check this out. And he starts out with these things. We're going to pull three things from this, okay? The first thing is this. A picture of the desired destination is available. Someone who is available. Notice how Paul begins in verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord to send him to you. I just found that to be weird. You can study it in the original language. You can do a lot of things. It's just kind of a weird phrase. 
I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. Why not just send Timothy? I hope to send Timothy to you. What's this, I hope in the Lord to send him to you? Then you notice it's a phrase repeated at least three times in our passage today, multiple other times in Philippians and countless times in Paul's writing. In Christ, in the Lord. It's a very specific thing that Paul does to continually point attention to the fact that there is a difference between living and making decisions and having a life that is in Christ and a life that is outside of Christ. Paul is saying, I could do a lot of different things outside of Christ. I can deal with money, I can make decisions, and I can do all that the way the rest of the world does. Or I can do it in Christ. He says, so when I hope, I hope in Christ. That's where my hope is. I'm hoping in Christ to accomplish some things. I'm not just hoping that I can work hard enough and do enough and, and make enough to, to be an accomplished person. It's all about Jesus. Remember how he said it to the church at Corinth. He said, hey, when you become a Christian, when someone is in Christ, when you're baptized into Christ, you come up out of that water, he says, you are a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. Things will never be the same again. You now view things completely different. So he says, in Christ, I see everything different. So when Paul interacted with friends, his friendships were through the lens of Christ. When Paul interacted with business associates as a tent maker, it was through Christ. He was a businessman through Christ, as a missionary through Christ, everything through Christ. Everything was impacted and influenced by his relationship with Christ. In the church, we like to say things like, well, we don't grieve like the rest of the world, but guess what? We shouldn't live like them either. We shouldn't live like them either. Everything should be influenced by Christ. And this is what he's saying. This is so extremely important for us as we look at what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at availability. We're going to look at whether or not you're a caring person and whether or not you're reliable. These are the lessons we're going to learn from Timothy and Epaphroditus. But here's the thing. If, you, if you're like me, you can hear a sermon like this and you want to walk out and you're going to say, I need to be more available and I need to be more caring. I really need to work on that one. And then I need to be reliable. So that's, that's what I need to go and do. And then you try it for a couple weeks, and then you get burned out, and then you come back and you're like, I need to try it again, I need to try it again. Paul's point is you can't do it. Like you can't accomplish it. You can't be more available enough and caring enough and reliable enough outside of Christ. It's all about in Christ. So the question's not, should I be more available? The question is not, should I be more caring? The question we should be asking continually is, what's my walk with Christ like right now? How connected to him do I feel? Because everything else is a byproduct of my connectedness. I cannot live a life that is a picture of the desired destination without being fully and totally committed and connected to Jesus. So Paul says they're available. Now he begins to describe Timothy. He says, Timothy's just available. Since the day I met him back in Acts 16, he said, I, he just, I want to come on this missionary journey with you, Paul, and I'm willing to do whatever. You just name it and I'll do it. No task too small, no task too big. I just want the gospel to be advanced because in Christ, I can see all that he's done for me and I just want to respond. I'm just willing to serve. And so Paul says, Timothy was constantly willing to just do whatever it took. And I don't know if you've read through the book of Acts. We're going to study that next year. But if you notice, Paul would go into a city and quickly get run out of it, leaving Timothy behind to pick up the pieces. Hey, I'm sorry. He didn't mean it. Like, don't kill him. Don't kill me. Like, please, please. Constant, but he's willing to do it. Paul's on house arrest. Where's Timothy? Right by his side. Paul says, bring me my books. Bring me my coat. Bring him his books. Bring him his coat. Go to Ephesus and deal with one of the worst ministries in the history of the world. I'm going to go to Ephesus and I'm going to deal with that ministry. But Paul constantly knew that he could rely on Timothy. Timothy was just always available to help. And look at how he describes Epaphroditus the same way. Available to the Lord. A messenger. Here's what I find fascinating in this. This guy just delivered letters. The mail carrier, 
He had a message from the church and a gift, and he brought it to Paul. He then brought the message from Paul back to the Philippians. This letter that we hold in our hands and that we study, that we get encouragement from, was from a guy that most of you hadn't heard of until we started the sermon series. One of the names in the Bible that you can't pronounce, so you skip over. A guy that's easy to forget. And what happens, though, is we begin to form our opinions of what it means to be available to the work of Christ around notoriety. I'm available, God, to do something big. I'm available, God, if it's awesome, if it's fun, if it's a journey, if I get notoriety, if I can post it on Instagram, I'm available. If I can, if I can come up with something else. And what Paul's saying here is like Epaphroditus was just a messenger. Easy to forget, easy to overlook. But without his effort, his ministry, his work, we don't get this letter. The church doesn't get the message they need from Paul. And who knows what that divisiveness that was spurring up would have become. All because someone said, I'm available. That God, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to do it. Not noticed, but think about it. The source of life in an organization is usually comes from the thing that's not very visible. Think about your body. When you woke up this morning, you didn't wake up. Some of you may have, and for you, good job. For the rest of us, you didn't wake up and say, my heart's still beating. My lungs are working. This is great. You got up and you thought, what should I wear? Okay, what am I going to eat? What time's Rob going to stop talking so we can get to lunch? Like, let's, like, those are the things you're processing and thinking through, right? But what is it that was sustaining life? It's what's not visible, oftentimes overlooked. The heart that's beating blood, the lungs taking in oxygen. Those are the things that are giving you life. And the same thing's true in the church. It's the people who I won't name right now because they don't want to be named who come into this place every single week and they clean and they move things and they do things. It's the people that dedicate themselves to making funeral dinners for families. They won't see this side of heaven. It's the people that are constantly serving, constantly going out of their way, and they never want attention for it. They're the life of the church. And Paul is saying Epaphroditus, Timothy, they were available. In addition to that, they're also caring Here's the thing. Some people are very available, but you don't know if you can actually put them into service because you're not sure what's going to come out of their mouth every time they talk. Because you never know. You're like, yeah, they're available. We can plug them in. But every time they talk, I cringe because their words just level people. Because it's their opinion over everybody else's. It's because they got to be right. It's because they got to get their way. And they just come in and it's just hard and it's difficult because they don't treat people well. Sure, they're available. We can call on them anytime we need, but man, they don't understand that kingdom work is not just about getting the job done. It's about how we do the job. I mean, look at Timothy. There's nothing slick about him. There's nothing fancy about him. He's not taking shortcuts. He's not taking advantage of anybody. He's a pretty simple young kid. And what does Paul say about him? He wasn't just available. Paul says that he served me like what? Like a son to a father. I mean, he loved me. Like I was his dad. He cared about me. Can I tell you that in my life, I can't speak for you guys, but for, for me in my life, there are a few things I've experienced in life that are sweeter than the unsolicited love of my children. The unexpected I love you. that you're the best dad in the world. But can we just go for a walk? And I just want to see you, dad. Can you please be there? That unsolicited love that you're not, you're not looking for, but it comes, man, it's the greatest feeling in the world. That's what Timothy provided for Paul. It's just, he didn't just serve. I mean, he loved him deeply. Look at how he talks about Epaphroditus. 
He says, this guy longs for you. He just wants to be around you guys. So I'm going to send him back because that's what he wants more than anything else. He just wants to be around you. He says, not only that, he was sick to the point of death. And what caused him the most stress? It says he was stressed out because he learned that you knew he was sick and he didn't want you to worry. Like he loves you guys so much. He's telling the Philippian church that he was sick on his deathbed and all he could think about is, I don't want them to worry, man. Oh, they found out I'm sick. Are you serious? Like, I don't want them worrying about me. He said he was willing to risk his life. He said, look, this letter that you've written to this church is so important that I will get it to them even if I have to die. And then he almost did. I mean, this is a guy constantly loving and caring for people. And here's the thing about this type of care, this genuine love and care for other people that says, I'm available and I'll just do whatever it takes. I just want to make sure that you're taken care of. You can't fake it. I mean, you can try. You can do a really good job of putting on a front and prettying everything up and making it look like you care. But then when people get close enough to kind of feel it, they realize this is fake. You don't really care. You have an agenda. I'm just a number to you. I'm a project to you. You don't really care about my needs. It's just not real. This past week, my wife and I, this kind of came uh, clear to me. My wife and I had a meeting that we went to, and we had to take our two-year-old to this particular meeting. And in this meeting place, there was this bowl on the table with fake fruit. It's lost on me. I don't get it. Just put real fruit in the bowl. Uh, but we're, we're there, and, and it looked so real. Like, I've never seen fruit that looks so real. And apparently, neither had my two-year-old. And so he got to the bowl while we were talking, and Sarah looks over my shoulder and sees him as he picks up what he thought, rightly so, was a strawberry that he was excited to bite into for the sweetness of a strawberry. He wanted that to be real, and he bit into it, and, he, and it was nasty, styrofoam, gross, and, and, he, like he bite, and she's like, ah, I'm sorry, and she's telling the lady, I'm sorry, and the lady's like, and I'm like, don't be sorry, she shouldn't have fake fruit, like, like, <laughs> like right there in front of us, and then... His response is the greatest. He looks up and he goes, he looks right at my wife. He goes, mommy, ew, yuck. And honestly, we're driving home and I thought, that's the sermon. Like, when we try to fake it, it's gross. You can pretty it up all you want. You can put on a front and a show like you really care about people all you want. And get close enough to realize it's fake, it's gross. It's not a picture of the desired destination. They're available, and they're caring, and last, they're reliable. I want you to notice how these kind of build on each other. Because what good is someone who's available, I'm available, I can do this, who genuinely cares if you can't count on them? Can't count on them. I mean, they say they'll be there. They, I, I think they actually do want to be there, but man, when it comes down to it, they never follow through. They're never actually going to do what we need them to do. They're just not reliable. At all. And here's the thing about Timothy and Epaphroditus. These guys weren't perfect. I mean, Paul writes about Timothy in particular when he wrote him first and second Timothy while he's doing his ministry in Ephesus. Paul would write to him, hey, Timothy, you need to remember that God gave you a spirit to be bold. Stop being so timid. Fan into the flame the gift that was clearly given to you. What are you like? Where's your confidence here? Let's go. Let me remind you of the faith of your mother and your grandmother. Let me remind you where you come from, Timothy. Stop. Timothy wasn't perfect at all. But if you were to sit down with Paul and you were to ask him, Hey, Paul, tell us about Timothy. I think a smile would come over his face as he said, Oh man, Timothy, he's a real deal. His word is his bond. I can always count on him. He always backs up what he says. In fact, I, I don't have anyone like him. 
I think when he was speaking to Timothy and Epaphroditus, he said, I, I don't have anyone that's like them, which is really awesome and extremely sad. Because Paul just got done saying, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. He just got done saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And remember, you can't do it apart from Christ because it's God who works and wills inside of you. Live this way, care about other people. And then he comes to the point, he says, and I've got nobody who does it genuinely. Like Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's reminding the church, look at them. Let them be your example. Take the next step. Look what they're doing. They're available. They care. They're reliable. I mean, when was the last time that you stopped and prayed and said, man, God, in Christ, you've been so good to me. I just want you to know I'm completely available to you. And I don't know what that looks like, God. I don't know. I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know where you're leading me. Uh, But I'm kind of scared to pray that prayer, God. But I just want you to know I am completely and totally available to you. And I just want to care about people. And if you give me an assignment, God, I'm going to follow through and I'm going to do it. I read this week of a preacher in England who famously said, I am content to be God's errand boy. I think that's what he's saying here. They weren't, they weren't perfect at all. But like Paul, they were just pointing us to the one who was perfectly available, perfectly cared for us, and was perfectly reliable in Jesus. And they're just saying, Timothy and Epaphroditus, we are not the ultimate model. We're going after the one who is. Come with us. Come on. And they're just bringing them along. I think D.L. Moody summarized this the best, and I read about this in a Christianity Today magazine recently where he was having a private conversation with somebody, and he uh, was asking them to recall what was said, and, and ultimately what came out of that was Moody saying these famous words. He said, The world has yet, the entire world has yet to see what God can do with a life that is wholly devoted to him. And then he famously said this, With God's help in Christ, I want to be that man. What about you? You want your life to be a picture, the desired destination, always available, always caring, always reliable, pointing people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and you really are the source of everything good in our lives. And uh, I just want to thank you for the example of those who have come before us, I know in a room like this, it'd be easy to just think of those followers of Jesus who have set the path for us, have been a model for us like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Thank you, God, for the multiple generations that are in this church. Really, genuinely thank you for that. Thank you that church is so much more than coming into a room to hear one person talk, that it's, it's about finding those people you connect with and having those mentors and those people that will disciple you and pour into you so that you can turn around and do the same for others. Father, would you help us? Would you give us eyes to see that way of living, ears to hear what you're saying to us through your word? Give us the spirit of courage and boldness that when we leave this place, we would be available and caring and reliable knowing that our lives are painting a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But God, we can't do that without you. And so in these next few moments, would you quiet our hearts and our minds and center our affection on the only one who is perfectly available to hear all of our concerns and our needs, who's perfectly caring to the point that he died for us and is completely reliable. As we prepare to take communion, Father, would you quiet distractions and prepare us 
to spend intentional time with you. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,